Hey, it's Jordan. We'll open up the chill factory in about 15 seconds. Wouldn't it be great to have a couple or five or 10 fast acting and effective stress reduction techniques ready when you need them? That's what the 45 minute quick calm video session gives you. And at the end of this episode, I'll give you a discount code for quick calm so you can bust stress for less. We often tend to give way too much power to these gatekeepers and assume that they know what they're doing or they know what they're talking about. And that is not always true. Welcome to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life easier. I'm Jordan Friedman. It's an understatement to say that we're living in unprecedented times. One way that's playing out is through the sheer number of people who are thinking about changing their jobs, or changing the way they work and live, or relocating, or finally acting on that idea that's been on the shelf. My guest, Dory Clark, author of her latest bestseller, The Long Game, says there's something you should definitely do to increase the chances that those changes you're thinking about, those ideas, those goals, will become a reality in one way or another. This episode of The Chill Factory is part two of my conversation with Dory. The previous episode is part one, and I recommend that you listen to them in order to get the most out of Dory's valuable insights. This part of the conversation starts with the whole reason we're talking about the long game and then expands to three R's that can make or break success. Rejection, relationships, and radar. Why should we plan for the long game? I think that we should be preparing ourselves for the long term because almost all of us have goals of some kind. You know, if, if we literally had no goals, then for sure we wouldn't need to plan at all because any outcome would be fine. We could just sort of ride with the waves like a jellyfish and we end up, you know, somewhere and it's like, oh, cool, okay. <laughs> and, you know, and, and for, maybe it's like that for some people. But for the vast majority of people I know, there are some ambitions that you have. You, you want to do something in your career and, you know, a- accomplish certain goals. Maybe you have goals for your retirement or you have goals for how you'd like to be able to provide for your family or whatever it is. And as a result of that, it's possible that if you don't plan at all, you might get lucky and the right things just kind of magically come to you. But you can imagine statistically that that would be fairly rare. If you want a particular outcome, you're not guaranteed to get it, but it is a heck of a lot more likely to happen if you are consciously making choices to get you in that direction. And that's where long-term thinking comes in. Because for most of the meaningful goals, for most of the things that are really worth having, you know, whether it's, you know, rising to become a CEO, if that's what you want, or maybe it's just being able to really help and impact a lot of people with your message around a certain issue. Those are things that that take time. They're, they're things that you have to sort of plan for, and you can't just snap your fingers and they happen. And so as a result, if, if there's a goal that you care about, then it's probably worth investing a little bit of time and effort up front into thinking 
all right, what is it that I could do today that would set it up and make it a lot more likely that in a year or five years or 10 years or 30 years, I have put myself in a position where good things can happen rather than just like relying on fate or a roll of the dice. Do you have any stories, your own included, of how people planned, committed to a long game, and succeeded in how they defined success? You know, a big part of it, and and we were alluding to it before, is overcoming the rejections that often inevitably come. Everyone is aware that rejection or getting turned down is a possibility. But I think it's actually useful to realize it is, on the contrary, it's almost an inevitability if your goal is big enough and long-term enough. I mean, just think about it statistically, right? If you have a goal that is a really important sort of long-term goal, something where lots of other people want this goal and it's going to take you, no matter what you do, it's going to take you a while to accomplish it, it would be really statistically unlikely that every single thing that you predict will happen or you hope will happen will break your way. It's actually a lot more likely that something's going to go sideways, that somebody's going to say no to you or things are going to look different than you imagined. And where people, I think, run into trouble is that so often they really give up too quickly in this process. They somehow either feel like, oh, you know, they they attribute it to the universe, like, oh, the universe is telling me blah, blah, blah. Well, no, not necessarily. And especially if you realize that it is a part of the process that you're going to get sidelined in some way. And also, you know, there's there's people that are going to be blocking you. We often tend to give way too much power to these gatekeepers and assume that they know what they're doing or they know what they're talking about. And that is not always true. Sometimes we we actually do know better than they do. And so one story that I really love in the long game is about a, a friend and a client of mine named Ann Sugar. And she's a, a wonderful executive coach, you know, someone very talented and competent for years. She's been doing executive coaching for Harvard Business School. I mean, you know, working with really top people. And she had an experience that I recount in the book where she was writing for free for a major uh, business publication. And she had been doing it for six months. She had done literally dozens of articles. And all of a sudden, her editor, who, you know, mind you, was two years out of college, tells her, we've talked about it. We've decided you're not creative enough. And so we don't want your articles anymore. She's like, what? I mean, this is a woman who had been doing it for free in her in her spare time, you know, out of out of the goodness of her heart, and she's getting fired from her free job by someone who is, like, dissing her and her creativity. I mean, it's just so offensive. That is really tough, getting fired from a volunteer job. Yes, exactly. And, you know, what I love about Anne's story, she, she did something smart, which was she reached out to a bunch of colleagues, and she was just looking for encouragement, you know, which is what you need in the moment. And so she asked people, she's like, has this ever happened to you? And if so, what did you do? And so, you know, the interesting thing, you know, lots of people uh, encouraged her and things like that, which was all good. But one woman that she reached out to said something that actually ended up being the most helpful. 
And the woman said, oh, yeah, that happened to me. And Anne said, well, what, what did you do? And the woman says, well, I never wrote again. And Anne was like, whoa, 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 what? You, like, you never wrote again? And she realized immediately in that moment that that was the wrong path that that was not what she wanted to have happen. That, you know, that's like the shadow side. It would be so easy to let some, you know, twerp basically tell you you're not good enough and then listen to it forever. Mm. And so she decided, okay, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to let that happen. And so she used her contacts and her connections and she got introduced to another equally prestigious publication. And she continues to this day, years later, writing for that publication they seem to think her work is just fine. But, you know, it would be so easy, and people do this all the time, that they get one person who tells them no or turns them down or fires them or doesn't like their stuff, and they, and they give up. And we just need to realize that for long-term goals, you know, for the essence of long-term thinking is realizing, all right, it's more likely than not this is not going to be a straight path. And as a result, we need to think about it. We need to plan for it. We need to be ready to pick ourselves back up and keep going. Amen. Because you may have something that so many of us could benefit from. So don't let that twerp who might have replaced you with a friend. Yeah. For no other reason, right? Don't let that keep you down. Great great advice. Dory, you are so involved in so many things. Uh, just wondering, what's something you do to chill? You know, for me, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. And so a lot of my activities involve a lot of people, which I love, but it is a little tiring for me. So probably my biggest chill activity is reading. I really love reading magazines, newspapers, books. I listen to audiobooks. I I would say I'm reading a minimum of two hours a day. And that's something that's really relaxing and helps me chill out. And is some of that written material about, I don't know, Hollywood celebrities? <laughs> you know, there, there's actually... It, it, it is not, I mean, not, not all of it, thank God, but uh, I, I was, I was at TED, I was at, a, at the TED conference earlier this year and I met this guy who worked for a company and they, they have this app and I had never heard of it and he seemed like a nice guy. So he told me about it. And so I downloaded the app and I quickly discovered it was basically like just a celebrity news app. And so this, this app, which I started looking at out of loyalty to my new friend, all of a sudden, it's just all this news about Prince Harry and like, you know, I, 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 I still I'm still having trouble telling the Chris's apart. I think there's Chris Evans, there's Chris Pratt, there's Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> One of them is married to Katherine Schwarzenegger. I really don't know. But anyway, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm getting there. I'm figuring it out. Well, I asked you that question because really I'm promoting the idea of doing that. So I wanted validation that you, Dory Clark, at least do a little reading about what's going on in Hollywood and, and Buckingham Palace because, you know what, that stuff can come in handy, right? We're having a conversation about it right now. You could be at a cocktail party and this is how you spark a conversation that leads to some kind of business, right? Oh, you are you are so right on. No, I am a huge fan of knowing enough about 
a, a lot of things to be able to relate to anyone. One of my favorite examples of this, there, there's a, a woman named Leal Lowndes, I believe I'm pronouncing it right. And she, her most famous book, I think, is called How to Talk to Anyone, which I think is very good. But she wrote a series of, of kind of sequels to it, which I, which I read years ago. And I had a girlfriend at the time who, you know, I was reading this book and I think she just thought it was lame. She's like, oh, this is so ridiculous, you know, but, but it was this book about, it was giving you like, like little sort of facts about random things so that you could have better conversations with people. And so I was out with this girlfriend and I was meeting a friend of hers for the first time. And so I say to her friend, so, you know, tell me about you. Like, what do you like to, what do you like to do? How do you spend your time? And my friend says, I like to fish. And I'm like, oh my God, I've like literally never met somebody who fishes. <laughs> and I'm a vegetarian. Like I really, but I had just been reading this book and I said, oh, salt water or fresh? And the friend was like, oh my God, you're so good. I can't believe you asked me that. And I just looked at my girlfriend and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See that? And you probably didn't have to spend too much time reading about saltwater versus freshwater, right? Totally, totally. But, but you know, Leo Lowndes is 100% correct that even if you just know enough to ask some super basic questions, but they're, but they're well-informed, you can create such a bond with people. They, they appreciate it so much. And we didn't talk about this at length during our conversation, but so much of the long game is about the relationships you develop along the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a there's a saying that I like and I agree with, which is basically you the, the only thing that makes you a different person um, over time is the books you read and the people you meet. And it's like, yeah, that actually is the thing that that makes the difference in terms of who you become as a person. And so building solid relationships with with good people, the people you want to connect with is so valuable. And so in the long game, I have, you know, some advice about kind of how not to blow that. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite uh, things that I share, the kind of precepts that I share is something that I call the no asks for a year rule, which basically means, um, you know, I, I have found that one of the fastest ways to blow a promising relationship is to ask someone too quickly for something that involves political capital or is sort of a sensitive ask because they will interpret it, I think probably not wrongly, as, oh, well, this person wants something from me. They're, they've been getting to know me transactionally because they want a thing. They want a connection to somebody I know, or they want an introduction at a particular company or something. And people feel bad about that, you know? I mean, everybody, I think, wants to be known and appreciated for who they are, not what they can get you. And so if you if you scrupulously adhere to the no asks for a year rule, that means that number one, you're not gonna turn them off by asking for something prematurely. And number two, you are likely going to be a better friend because you are not even going to go there in terms of your headspace. That is that is just not a thing that is possible. And so as a result, you can concentrate fully on being an active and engaged friend for that person and not thinking about what they could get you or not get you. 
This makes me think about something you also wrote about in The Long Game, and that is how to get known if you're not known. Or another way to say it is that a lot of people think, and I suppose there's truth to it, that it's hard to get on people's radar or the world's radar or the radar of the audience that you want to be on if you're starting as an unknown. What do you think about that? How do you help people with that? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not wrong, right? I mean, the, the, hardest, the hardest part is actually getting the flywheel turning in the first place. Once, once it's kind of rolling around a little bit, uh, sometimes there are natural processes that speed things up. But going from zero to uh, actually attracting attention or sort of, you know, mo- moving around, that, that is the, the challenging part. But what I will say specifically to your question is the three key components of getting known in your field or in your industry. It's content creation, it's social proof, and it's your network. And content creation basically is just sharing your ideas publicly. Social proof is having credentials to show people that you are legitimate. And then your network, of course, is self-explanatory. When you were first starting, pretty much focusing on anything will do because anything is better than, you know, where you're starting from, which is usually zero. But but ultimately, you're going to want to focus on all of these things. But they operate together as a flywheel. And the way it interacts is you need to be sharing your ideas publicly, you know, writing articles or giving speeches or maybe having a podcast like this so that people can find you, so that people know what your ideas are. So that's that's the piece of content creation. Social proof, you want to try to seek out markers of credibility so that people are likely to give you a chance. And that could be getting quoted in media articles or perhaps, you know, writing for certain media outlets Uh, Maybe it's guest lecturing at universities or uh, joining, joining or taking on a leadership role in a professional association. Any of that is really helpful. And then, you know, your network is just really finding ways to engage and interact with other people in your field because it's obviously kind of hard to be known as a recognized expert in your field if the other experts have never heard of you. So you need to make sure that you're plugged into those dialogues. But if you can focus on those three things, um, and, and really in the beginning, Again, any of them will do if you are starting from zero. Um, It will begin to move the needle for you. It feels sometimes like you are yelling into a fan, but really lots of people can end up hearing you, and sometimes it only takes one person to start you down a road of great satisfaction and fulfillment and maybe financial gain and all sorts of other great things including happiness. I love that. That's great, Jordan. Dory Clark, I could talk to you forever, but we don't have time to do that, unfortunately. But maybe you'll come back sometime in the future because you really do have experience with lots of different things. And I really appreciate you coming by the Chill Factory today and helping us with our long game. Thank you so much, Jordan. And by the time I come back, hopefully I'll have all the Hollywood Chris's straightened out too, so we can have an even better conversation. I'm sure of it. (laughs) That's a deal. I got to study up too. 
Be sure to check the episode notes for more about Dory and a link to her free Recognized Expert Evaluation Toolkit. This is a self-assessment that helps you figure out where you are on a scale of expertise. And then based on that, some things you can do to increase your recognition and presence. Dory and I talked about rejection, a real obstacle to sticking with our long games or even getting started on an idea or a plan in the first place. It can be really helpful to have some perspective on this whole rejection failure thing. So I thought we'd take a minute and play Look Who Got Rejected. See if you can guess what celebrity or successful person these things were said about. Scouting report said his athleticism was below standard. That was said about NBA superstar Steph Curry. His first book was rejected by 27 publishers who said his ideas were too different and they'd never sell. Dr. Seuss. This guy was four years old before he could speak and seven before he could read, and his teacher said he would never amount to much. That was said about Albert Einstein. This is one of my favorites. She was once fired because, quote, she was too emotional and not fit for television. That would be Oprah. And finally, a teacher once said about this person, he was hopeless and would never become a composer. Ludwig von Beethoven. And here's that special coupon code I promised you for the Quick Calm video session, which teaches you 10 effective and fast-acting stress reduction techniques, including Quick Calm, which is the most popular stress reducer I teach. Just go to quickcalm.net and enter the coupon code SUMMER at checkout. The first 25 listeners to do so will receive 40% off the Quick Calm video workshop. It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. There's more information and resources at thechillfactory.net. And if there's something you've heard here on The Chill Factory that you think will help someone in your life, we'd love it if you shared an episode or the podcast with them. And subscribe or follow The Chill Factory so you'll know when new episodes are available. And as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall.